But, uh, no, I, I've been, obviously, I've been bugging people, and uh, I'm going to go straight over this weekend. And I thought to myself, now, when we get back Monday, everything's going to work like clockwork. It's going to work like a well-oiled machine, like an integrated, some kind of a beautifully contrived mechanism that is flawless. Well, you see what happened. Okay. Now, now wait a minute. There's a lesson in it. Uh, uh, uh. Man cannot hardly do a damn thing but what there isn't a lesson in it. That's right. There's a lesson in it for all of us. I can't quite figure out what it is. It eludes me, but there is. Now, um, one thing uh, you probably know, that deep down inside of you right now at this minute, there is a sense of uh, unrequited... Uh, uh, well, it's like uh, watching a guy work a frozen custard machine, see? And he's got his hand on a knob there, and it keeps dribbling out, and he keeps saying, something's wrong with this thing. And you're standing there, and it's 120 degrees, and you can hardly wait for that frozen custard. It's unrequited luck. No, no, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> no, that's the Mets. That's something else. That's ridiculous. That's silly. Now, we are bigger than that, aren't we, gang? Of course we are. Much bigger than that. You're not listening to Jack E. Fat Leonard. Oh, no. Now, my name ain't Don Rickles. I have something to say. Oh, let me tell you, if they ever unleashed me, my God, what I couldn't say. I want to tell you, if they ever let me go, if they ever loosen the reins, no telling how far I could carry this. What do you mean? Oh, cut it out, will you? I am... Stop it. How can a man be dignified in this day and age when he keeps blowing whistles in his ear and honking horns? And it's kind of cute, though, come to think of it. <laughs> Why, look at that little ding itself. Yeah, let me try it once. Let me see if I can work it. Right, work. I can do it. And now you are seated at the vast controls of the universe. You are operating the control mechanism. You have your hand on the throttle. That is your right hand. Your left hand is on the control yoke, which steers the globe, the world, the cosmos that you know through the firmament of our time. You're in charge. You're the Walter Cronkite of existence. You got a little earphone plugged in your ear that's connected directly to God. Of course, there's always the wise guys in the audience. Shut up! I'm running this thing! You think you can do any better? Come on and run it! Oh, wise guy. You don't know how hard it is to run a world. Oh, wow. Hmm. Hey, well, somebody watch out for that thing there that's hanging out. Hey, come on. Hey, will you check the steam valves? It's leaking again. Oh, come on. Sentimentality will not carry us through. We've got to plunge forward and ahead. This is what it's all about. A well-organized universe is only operated and controlled by a well-organized mind, right? Yeah, right, right. All right, that's such a man as me. Glad that I got elected. And you're sure glad that I got elected too, right, gang? Who else could run it like I'm running it? Hooray! Hey, will you turn on the confetti blower? Yeah. Okay, get out them horns. Right. Have you got all the paper hats? Yeah, right. All right, let's go. Get that band going. We are running the universe tonight. Woo! Wow. Will you shut up? Let's go. 
true. Keep your digestive problems yourself. And once again, coming into the basin, the world is steered into a safe harbor, a safe point, by clear, concise reasoning, command of infinite morality, and fantastic judgment and talent. I want to thank all of you. I want to thank every one of you for your cooperation. Yes. Oh, come on, that's enough. I want to thank all of you for cooperation. Hello, Tess. Hello. That's better. Boy, that was exciting. Took you a little trip there. Through the tunnel of love. Through the magic mystery tunnel. Please. I spy. Right. Wait a minute here. Just a minute, folks. We've just switched into Houston Control Center. What are they doing there? Oh, I see. It's the chorus. Right. So we're going to raise a few funds here. Bring them up there. That song is familiar. He plays a good piano. Not bad. I mean, you know, for a guy with one foot. That's not bad. Yes. Of course. <laughs> you mind if I sit in with you, Kate? Get off my phone, all together, gang. Now let's sing it all together. <laughs> <coughs> oh, boy. That's good exercise. Get the shoulders in shape. That was nice. Well, I'm glad that we started the week off with our song. Yeah. Uh, huh. I have a letter here I'd like to read. It says, Shepard, having exhausted all of life's other possibilities, I am now embarking on a career of crank letter writing. I chose you as the first writee because, as the perpetrator of the nation's foremost crank radio show, you will both deserve and understand it all at the same time. Well, I, I'm, I always welcome a guy who's uh, hit his, his stride in life, and uh, he's taken his uh, career seriously as a crank letter writer. He said, but every so often, others of us get hit with a dose of understanding, too. And I, in other words, I know the truth about the William Tell, Lone Ranger, Aquavelva binge you've been on lately. And truth is not a word that we here in our department use lightly. Now, to begin with, uh, I must explain something. Carefully. That is not the William Tell Overture you've been hearing. That is the Ham and High Pep Song. Uh, as an old ex-student at Ham and High, I, uh, I just want to tell you that this is our pep song. And uh, once in a while, when things get tough in the shower and I'm sitting there with my rubber walrus, I occasionally put this pep song on. Because, it, you know, it, it has driven to me to maniacal events sometimes. I mean, you, you, you sit in the stands most of the time, you guys. You're stand sitters. Well, how do you think it affects those guys out on the field when you're singing the pep song, huh? 
What do you think happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens. They're driven to maniacal efforts. Uh, oh, incidentally, may I bring out another point here? For speaking of maniacal efforts, uh, I, I mean, this this is something uh, we're just going to have to take uh, very carefully. We don't want to rush into anything. But uh, that is the Ham and High pep song you've been hearing, sung by the Senior Girls Chorus. It's very nice. And I carry it around with me. Now, like many people, uh, you know, I have certain shibboleths, <laughs> and uh, I've learned to correct them whenever they do pop out. Oh, no, I'll tell you what's good for them is calomel lotion, in case you're curious. Also, occasional dose of Epsom salts will handle those shibboleths, okay. But if you get the if you get the South American or Peruvian shibboleth, forget it, man. You're going to get the scabies. And then, no matter what you do... Now, you can see how this would drive you to tremendous effort. Especially when it's played over a 17,000-watt PA system in the middle of a driving rain when you're playing the Whiting Oilers. You're behind 37 to 6 going into the first half of the second quarter. Yeah. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, coach. Hold it. You don't have to tell me. You're dealing with a pro, coach. You do not have to tell me to get in that line and, and win. I'm a pro. I know what that's about. Ain't nobody going to push old Shep around. Which reminds me, this is WOR New York. <laughs> what a joke. Would you please hit the Palisades button, please? Palisades has a That's very good. Okay, it's coming on clear. Come on. Come on over. Shows and dancing are free. So is the parking. So, gee. Come on. Come on over. Come on. Come on. Sing. You're a wet blanket. Coast to coast. Where with time buys the most. You can sing. Palisades amusement park. Swings all day. And after every day. Bum, ba -dum, bum, bum. Ride the coast and get cool in the waves of the pool. You'll have fun, fun. So come on, come on, come on over. Yeah, fun seekers. Boom. Hello, fun seekers. We'd like to uh, warn you that uh, there's a lot of fun over there in the Palisades Amusement Park, and a lot of it isn't even on a schedule. You'll have fun over there. It's the swim in the world's largest outdoor swimming pool, known as Barnegat Bay. And uh, they got it over there with a big fence around it, and you're going to have a ball over there, see? That's the Palisades Amusement Park. You can go on up and down there and homogenize your insides. I almost said something better than that. But, uh, you'll come out there, you know, totally with it there. Uh, you want to hear... Uh, my, I must take this up tonight. This is a very serious evening here tonight. It is. No, no, no. no, no we've dealt, we're, we're dealing tonight with man's inability to cope. Uh, we're dealing with the imminent disaster that lies in the hearts of all of us. And there goes Whitey's done it again. I haven't said, what are you going to do? Six or half a dozen the other. But anyway, he goes on and says here, while uh, racking up the C's and D's at Columbia, it's a highly overrated school in the vicinity, he says, now, I'm not, uh, this is not me saying, this is the crank letter writer friends you're getting here. He says, while racking up the C's and D's at Columbia, a school that never did understand me, I had a friend who spent nearly all of his free time cutting pictures out of newspapers and magazines and giving them obscene captions or voice balloons. You know, you write a little thing, cut out a picture of, uh, say, uh, oh, uh, Lindsay, you see, and you put a little balloon up there and you write an obscene caption, what he just said. And then you sit around and you slap your knee, you know, oh, man. The kid was five feet three and had the face of a cherub, a voice from Hickory, North Carolina, and a very evil mind to go. 
with it, see. About midway through his sophomore year, he abandoned the graphic arts in favor of the communications media. You are not. This is a highly organized mind at work. And, and all true artists have this. For example, here's an example. His famous one-minute spot deserves citation. Tip the call. Uh, he, he dials a number at random, see. Picks it out of the phone, which just dials a number. 6SJ7, and he dials it, see, and he waits. There's this click at the other end. Hello? And now here's our, here's our star. Uh, hello, good evening. My name is uh, Charles, Charles Apperson, and I represent the New York Telephone. By the way, this uh, opening is definitely uh, provocative right there, and the caller becomes instantly suspicious as soon as he says, I represent the phone company. The target, ah, uh, yep. See, because almost everybody has had, you know, little problems with his bill here and there. When the phone company calls, he's right on the, he's very, very suspicious. Uh, yes. <clears throat> yes, uh, <clears throat> uh, sir, uh, due to the increasing number of obscene or annoying phone calls in the New York area, we are taking certain measures that may help to protect our customers. Are you listening? Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> What's this got to do with me? Uh, one of these measures, sir, is to let you know what you should do should you receive an obscene call. This is my job to let you know what you should do when you receive an obscene call. Are you still listening? Uh, yes, yes. Go on ahead. <laughs> yes. Now, sir, the necessary information is on page two of your directory. Would you uh, please uh, open page two right now, uh, right now while I wait, uh, and you read it along with me? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got the phone book right here. And now the target is totally off guard. He cooperates. You've got them involved. See, he's, he's totally off guard now. At this point, then, the caller says, the artist says, uh, now, you're sure you understand the procedures you should take in the event of an annoyance call. This, of course, was after the two of them read it together over the phone. Uh, the target then answers, Ah, uh, yes, yes, uh, thank you very much. Uh, that's very good. Uh, yes, I do understand what you do now when you receive a, uh, an obscene call. That's very good. Uh, very nice. Yes, sir. The caller then, uh, here's where the zingy comes in. Uh, good. Uh, because this is just such a call. Now, what do you intend to do about it? Art in its purest form. Subtly understated. At no point did four-letter words enter the conversation. Magnificent example of the true annoyance call in its purest or unsullied or native form. Well, at the end of this particular year, I'm again quoting the letter writer, by some miracle I graduated, carrying with me my cluster of D's, C-pluses, D-minuses, all the rest of the stuff that's going to bug me all the rest of my life because that crummy school never never really understood me, never. And I, in a burst of dynamic apathy, I went off to join the Army. Come ETS, I looked up my friend Huey, the uh, artist, who was then himself on the verge of graduation and who was about to marry a German girl who was five feet seven inches tall, a good five inches taller than he is, and the type of chick that we see only in our most top-drawer fantasies. I should note that after they were married another very night after she had her baby, Hugh and I were on the streets of the east side ringing buzzers and doorbells and running frantically away. So nothing really changed. And anyway, this is the crucial part of this letter. While I was in the Army, Hugh had an epiphany. You know what is it, an epiphany, friends? Well, I suggest you look it up. That's part of your homework for tonight. He saw in this vision that he had, this vision of uh, 
this vision of sudden knowledge, this uh, moment of sartori, this moment of deep insight, he saw that the more work he put into his phone calls, the better they were artistically, the more negative were the results. How have... Oh, I could say only that he has discovered Shepard's 180-degree phase shift theory in action. That the better you are, the less Johnny Carson's going to talk about you. The more you hit guys in the mouth with the... With pies, the more you'll be considered a magnificent performer, right? That's the 180-degree phase shift, or let us put it this way, the declining quality theory, which says that the lousier they are, the more cheers you'll get. Well, of course, at first, uh, he, he was a little concerned by this. People were enjoying his magnificent phone calls. At first, he took this as a compliment. But then he grew depressed. He realized that the purpose of an annoyance call was to annoy and that his calls, no matter how inventive, subtle, or outrageous, were simply not cutting the mustard. People were digging. They were giving him their friend's phone number to call them. You know? Of course, there was a sizable percentage that put the target into a state of rage. He made it on some. In fact, one case eventually lapsed into catatonia as a result of one of his beautiful calls, but his efforts, by and large, he felt, were misdirected. Thus, one morning, you got up out of bed, looking up the number of a tobacconist, dialed it. And this is the way it went. Dial the number. Click. <clears throat> Charlie Brown's tobacco shop. At which point, he says, uh, do you have Prince Albert McCann? The guy said, hey, yes. You said, well, get him out. <laughs> Giggled and hung up. It was a smash. The guy almost went out of his bird at the other end of the line. Yes, the true annoyance call to the Clovis of our time has only one objective to annoy. The more stupid, idiotic, and dumb it is, the more it annoys people. If it doesn't annoy people, it just isn't an annoyance call. It's a nice comedy bit. He had found the answer. Retrogress to your ninth grade. You know, call up the zoo. <laughs> You know, you know that old bit, calling up the, uh, call up, uh, call up the lawn. He'd say, you got the washout? They say, yeah. Well, come on, watch it, watch it. You know, the, you know the jazz. This is the truth as advertised. Superseding all other drives and complexes. I want you to listen to this because this writer is correct, in spite of being a total crank and a nut. Superseding all other drives and complexes. The truly involved man is driven by the will, and that's in cap. The will to annoy. Think about that for a minute. Well, look, if Sophocles had opened a little Greek restaurant, do you think you'd ever heard of him? Think Socrates. Socrates himself. You don't think for one minute that if Socrates had made it big running a used car lot out in Queens, you would ever have read Socrates' great, his great uh, message of farewell to his students. Oh, no. The will to annoy is deep in us. And I must compliment this uh, this letter writer. He's put his finger on something, because he sure got me. He says, Mr. Shepard, he says, a good, a good indicator of the will to annoy is the drooling, satiated intonation Mr. Shepard, for example, puts on the word bugged. That's true. Another is the repetition of the William Tell song, which eventually becomes indistinguishable from the name game. It's driving me up the wall, you nut! I'm quoting this letter right here. Wow. 
obviously I've succeeded. He says, okay, you have got the truth, Shepard. You know what you're doing. And the other minor truths are the 56 Plymouth with the three-speed push-button transmission is a moment of truth, a 20,000 cubic inch, inch engine, and Gregor Samsa. These are the only two truths in the world outside of your show. Does Gene Shepard live up to his promise to send out the filthy lyrics to the William Tell Overture? I say that is not the William Tell Overture. That is the Ham and High Fight song. No, 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 no. Get the Ham and High Fight song. Oh, That's it, friend. Now, I do have the lyrics to this, and they are obscene. And incidentally, they are now singing the obscene lyrics. Unfortunate in language with you and your cloddish ignorance do not understand. Has it ever occurred to you that you're about three-quarters underwater most of the time? And you don't even know you're in the rapids, friend. You don't even know that you're being swept out to sea faster and faster. The galloping hoots of the Valkyries after you. Yeah, chasing you from pillar to post. For a little while, you think you're on top of it because you got a new wide tie, a tie city, right? The one with a snap thing. You don't even have to tie it, just snap it around your neck. Right. We're in a big, big, big. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Hold it. By the way, this letter writer is a former French and Latin teacher from a famous school in this area. He is. He sends it on some stolen school stationery. Well, I mean, where are you going to turn? Now, see, he's hit the point of the obscene phone call. Now, tonight, I'm going to take up a very sensitive issue. I mean, I might as well face it right here. We all know about the obscene phone call. Well, how many of you know of the obscene phone number? Oh, you all run into it. Oh, yes, you have. Especially the males. I don't know about the chicks, but I know the men have. Almost any phone booth in midtown Manhattan has numbers of obscene phone numbers scrawled on the various walls that you are facing when you're trying to call your mother long distance. Right? Now, undoubtedly, you have thought about those numbers from time to time, if you are a normal male with a normal set of glands, with the normal juices that a normal male has when he has a normal set of glands, right? Now, what have you thought about these numbers? I mean, it's some nice person looking for a date. Is that what you thought? <laughs> I didn't think so. No, sir. I did not. Uh, what I thought, of course, is my own business. I mean, uh, what you thought is your own business, and I'm not going to step up. By the way, I don't chew my cabbage twice. How's that for a bit of folk uh, wisdom there? I'll try that on you for size. I don't choose my cabbage twice, which proves that I'm a liar. I just did. So, uh, nevertheless, in every phone booth, particularly in midtown Manhattan, I'm sure you don't have them out in the Pipsqueak, New Jersey, or Pipsqueak Hills, New Jersey, where you live, uh, where all the people think clean thoughts and they don't have bad people anywhere. Uh, I'm sure that you have never seen these numbers scrawled in uh, indelible ink with uh, various uh, promises that are made next to the phone numbers. You've seen this, haven't you? Well, you know, of course, we all go through these periods of fallow. Uh, uh, how long has it been since you've been in your fallow period? Are you still in your fallow period? Are you in your sal salad days? Is that what it is that you're having there? I noticed there was some gooey stuff on the top of your head there. That's Russian dressing, right? You're in your salad days. Well, all right, I'm not going to argue with that. 
However, we all go through periods of when we lie fallow, you know, when your life sort of just lays there like a, you know, like an old limp Brillo pad that's run out of gas. Yeah, you've gone through times like that. Well, a couple of semesters back, your correspondent here one night had a terrible truth driven home. Uh, that, that, that I'm as corrupt. I discovered I'm as corruptible as the next. It's a terrible thing to discover when you have always considered yourself above that low type of activity. I mean, you know what I mean, low type of activity. You know what low activity is. I mean, you read these things in the paper. It says about Orchie, uh, busted in Queens, 47 arrested. And you say, oh, isn't that terrible? Yeah, well, the worst part of it is you weren't invited. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, I just wonder how many people's morality stems to the fact they've never been asked. I mean, hardly anything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have a vague feeling Ralph Nader's never had a real date. I, just <laughs> I mean, a real date. <laughs> I don't mean those nice uh, long talks over over uh, you know s- sterilized hamburgers with various other consumer protector types. I'm talking about a real date, you're yelling and hollering and riding around in the Pontiac and throwing beer cans out, you know, out the back window. This is, you know, this is where it gets down to it. But uh, nevertheless, is there anybody listening tonight? Hey, come on, sit up out there. Please, Here, give him a shot of the pep song, please. There, that's it, come on, wake up, come on. How are we going to keep this lecture going if you guys keep falling over sideways there? Come on, sit up. Come on, we're going to be at McDonald's any minute now. You're going to have to have your order ready. Don't mess around here. Come on now. All right, let's go. Oh, let's hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Nice. <laughs> well, I don't know whether I should <laughs> tell you the full story of uh, the discovery. Oh, no, no, the obscene phone number is with us. It's, it's a fact. And, um, of course, the question I wish to ask here at this point is how many of you, in moments of fallow, in moments of the dark despair of the human night. <laughs> That's kind of nice, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's like F. Scott Fitzgerald said. He says, uh, some lives are lived always at 4 a.m., and up in the attic they're moving heavy pieces of dark, dust-covered furniture about. Uh, that describes it all right, doesn't it? That's right. Somebody's living upstairs from you. And the worst part of it is you're living on the top floor. They keep hearing footsteps at 3 in the morning. And mysterious arguments coming up the air shaft. Once in a while you catch the snatch of a sound of a name. And they seem to be talking about you. Oh, you don't have that problem. Okay, fine. You, uh, uh, it must be nice to live in a place where nothing but sweetness and light and birds are constantly... I'll tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I found myself for one night in the suburb. I almost went out of my, my mind. I'll tell you, I, I, I really got to the point where about... Three o'clock in the morning. I was in this beautiful suburban home, just lovely, and trees around and everything. And I, and I, I just, I got itchy about three in the morning. I wanted to hear a good fist fight break out outside, and you know, let me know the world is out there, and things are normal, real. Just once in a while, I hear whack whack, some nutty duck out there, or something kept yelling for another nutty duck, and uh, they never got together. That's what bugged me all night long. They whack whack, and off in the distance, whack whack. They never made it. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's like we used to lay in our bed. We had, we had, to, had these pup tents in the army in the middle of the swamp, endless swamp. And I remember this, this guy that I, you know, this friend of mine, was laying in this pup tent one night, temperature 400 degrees, nothing but the mosquitoes, and way out in the distance you could hear this alligator. 
that's the way they sound, you know. That's an, that's an alligator just, uh, you know, testing the wind. Whoa! And uh, he's sending out a message there. I'm looking for a little action there. Whoa! <laughs> Terrible sound. And once in a while, from way off in the swamp, you hear an answering bellow. It's just like that, see? Well, we're laying there listening to this. It's gone on for about a week now. These two alligators yelling at each other over 4,000 acres of wasteland, swamps, primal, you know, antediluvian swamp. And, uh, but he kept getting closer, see? <laughs> and uh, about uh, 4 o'clock in the morning, one morning, well, I, you know, I could feel the side of the tent fluttering. And just from molecular vibration. Well, I'm, I'm laying there, see, and I hear this, this, this thumping of footsteps coming along this little boardwalk we had. Yeah, you had a little boardwalk, see, because we lived in the swamp. We had nothing. If you fell off the boardwalk, forget it. Quicksand. We lost a T5 one night and two corporals. Just like that. See, nobody, well, who cares? I and mean, it's only a T5. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we hear these footsteps coming along. You know, this guy's running along the boardwalk. See, it's 4 o'clock in the morning, and... And for five minutes, we laid in our sack there, listening to this guy argue with the alligator. He thought it was Sergeant Kowalski, see? And he had a snooze ball, see? And the two of them were yelling back and forth. And I laid there, and I said, funny, and Gasser was in the next center. I said, Gasser, you hear that? Gasser says, yeah. I said, what do you think of that, Gasser? And this thing roared. And it said, I don't know what happened. There was a sudden moment of total insight I had. Now, what I saw, I don't know, you know. It's like uh, every guy I've ever known has gotten bombed out of his skull on anything from LSD to inhaling deep on the Jersey Turnpike. You can get, you know, you can get knocked out of your skull, especially if you get over there around Interchange 12 where all that stuff is in the air, you know. Oh, yeah, you take a good big swig of that, and you can, you, you, you'll see everything, you know. Your eyeballs bulge. But I have never yet any, no, met anybody who, after he tells me about this fantastic insight he's had in this moment of hallucination, you know, whatever it is, if he could remember what it was later. He just knows that it was saying it, see. Well, I'm laying there thinking about this. You know, that alligator yelling, Gasser laughing in the next tent. The guy arguing with the alligator, and Kowalski comes roaring out of, the, out of his... Uh, he had a special place where sergeants live, you know. But they had spikes all over it, man. He comes running out, and, uh, of course, he took care of that alligator. One shot, run, knock it off! That alligator shut up, man. I'll tell you, there was nothing from the swamp for three days after that. Well, you know, uh, authority recognizes authority, regardless of, uh, of the way it's couched. And, and the, the bigger authority comes along, the lesser authority's going to shut up, even if it's primal. Now, I don't know whether this is all over your head or not. It certainly is over mine. It's a very dull discussion. I mean, because we're dealing with the eternal verities. Not, nothing is duller than that. Oh, my God. What the, I'll tell you what you need behind you when you're discussing eternal verity is a Greek chorus. See, if you say things like, the eternal, contacting the infinite. <laughs> See, the Greek chorus then disappears, carrying vases in the direction of Orestes' tent, at which point you enter laughing. You come out dressed in your bearskin and carrying your cardboard sword, ready to take them all on. <laughs> Hey, you notice it's a very literate show here tonight, but nevertheless, uh, uh, oh, no, I don't want you to intimidate you. I have read a few books, and that's, uh, that's enough to put you in trouble right away. But uh, nevertheless, uh, there I am in this phone booth. Now we're getting down to the nitty-gritty, friends. The obscene phone number. Shepherds and his fallow, period. 
and I'm stalking around Times Square like King Kong. You know, King Kong on a bad night. And uh, so I finally say, oh, I think I'm going to call this chick I know up in the Bronx. And I go walking into the phone booth, and it was in this uh, big uh, this big drugstore, Liggett's. You've been in Liggett's, see? And I go into this drugstore. They have a bank of phone, phone booths there, man. I'll tell you, it, it looks like the Jersey Turnpike, and all these people waiting in line there to get in the phone. So I finally get in the booth, and it's still hot. You know, I can... Somebody's been in here. It's hot. You can smell this. Uh, you can smell this fermenting aqua velvet. Some Marty has been in there yelling on the phone for about. Yeah, nothing. Nothing greater than to stand outside a phone booth and see some guy sweating in there. You know, with the phone up. What do you mean? What do you think I told him? Now come on, Marty. Would I lie to you? What do you mean by that? You know. You know. You know that uh, it's all falling down the drain. Some guys. You know, the whole thing is down the down the hatch. Forget it. Well, then finally, he comes running out of the phone booth. You know, he's running over to get more dimes. Well, I jump in immediately. See, I got the phone. It's still hot. So I pick up the phone, pick up the thing there, see, and I, up, up above it, you know, it's got this slot, instructions on how to dial on it. And uh, I throw the dime in there, see, and I dial his number, nothing. Chick isn't home, see. Sheesh. Well, I got the phone booth, see. I've been waiting now for about four hours to get this damn booth. You think I'm going to give up? So I put the time, and by now, Marty's back again. He's pounding that thing. Huh? His eyeballs are bucking out, see, because his partner, his partner, Maury, up in the Bronx, you know, has threatened to kill himself unless he calls him back immediately and tells him what happened on 49th Street today at Charlie's place, you know. And he's knocking on the thing. I says, well, knock it up. You know, it's a typical New York evening. Sweat, the heat, Times Square, it's 150 degrees. And I look out, see, and I'm beginning to get real, you know, bugged. I'm in the middle of all this scene. I look out there, and on this marquee, it says, at last, uh, the uncut version. The orgy up in Lil's place. Now, at last, first run in New York. And next to it is a thing that says, Flesh orgy. Fantastic film. Adults only. And I'm in the middle of this unbelievable hedonistic society. No, no, no answer at the other end of the line. Well, I just about was on the verge of leaving the phone booth. See. And on the outside there, Maury is banging. You know, he's wearing his Robert Hall... Uh, Tony Martin suit, and he's like, come on, will you knock it off in there? How much time do you think you're going to take in a boot? Let's knock it off, you idiot. All right, you know, this is, this is not, I, I must warn you, people who are outside, who do not know the New York method of communication, this may sound to the, the untrained observer as being untrammeled acrimony, as being total hatred. It is not. It is two, merely two New York citizens communicating in a comparatively mild set of terminology. Much of the most effective communication in New York is totally nonverbal. consists of various gestures, of which I have an infinite variety and a fantastic vocabulary. I mean, I can tell a guy to do what I want him to do just by flicking one elbow a little bit, you know? Oh, you sometimes do that in the chalk, you know, when there's three guys standing behind your car, you know, behind you, you're, you're on their stool. You've been waiting for 40 minutes. Finally, you got your brownie in front of you, you know? And they start making those noises. <laughs> you know, some guys just take up all of it. <laughs> you know, and you just give them a little flick with the elbow. And that, uh, oh, you wiggle one arm, you flick your ear a little bit. And uh, you've, gone, you've gone, you know, there's an old ancient Sicilian salute. You can go much further and better. Than, you know, it's much more defined here in New York and more subtle. Oh, yes, we've got a whole, a whole communicative apparatus set up like that. So when Murray was yelling at me, he was only saying, gee, would you please hurry? This is the way it would be, say, if you were in Springfield, Massachusetts. But Maury is banging. Why you get out of the boot? Well, 
you know, it, it, you could tell that he wasn't really serious because he wasn't kicking the booth in. Uh, so I, I wasn't so excited about it at that point. So I find, I, you know, I'm looking around, and I, the phone is ringing in my ears, nothing. There's obviously no answer. Well, then I see this number. Well, actually, it was one of them among maybe 35 numbers, but there was one number that says, uh, uh, you know, it says uh, KI6SJ7GT, and underneath it it said Marie. Well, now, these numbers I had never thought much about one way or the other, but all of you, there's not a guy alive out there who has not had an overwhelming impulse at one time just to call one of those numbers, right? Well, there was, uh, you know, I immediately I saw Marie in my mind, you know, Give me a little of that spooky music there, you see. I could see Marie in my... This spook. Yes, that's right. I could see Marie, you see. Somehow I saw her behind it, some little cubicle scene. She had the beaded screen hanging down in front of her, see. And she had these dark eyes. And the, she was exuding an unbelievable animal magnetism. <sighs> she was looking right at me, you know. There she was on the phone booth wall. Look at Marie. <sighs> Maury's hollering, will you get out of the boat already? Well, I put a dime in things, and I dialed Maurice's number. 6SJ7. G is about to dial it. I chickened out. So, oh my God, no. What am I doing? And my dime came back, which surprised me. See, I figured that's an omen. It's one of the rare times my dime came back when I pressed the button that says coin return. It came back. I said, well, that's an omen. I better call it. This means something good. I put the dime in again. All the while, Maury's banging on the outside, saying, die, I can't sit. I'm beginning to sweat. I can just see Marie. I can see myself riding up to the Bronx. See? Oh, and she's waiting behind this beaded curtain. 6SJ7GT. Uh, I hear it ringing. Uh, it's ringing in Marie's place. I can see already. I can smell the perfume. She's got this rare Egyptian perfume that was stolen from the tomb of one of the pharaohs. And she is ready for action, man. And I hear a click. And I said, hello, Marie? And it's a pregnant pause. This guy says, this is the LaGuardia control tower, Mac. So you call her from Liggett's again? You're the third guy tonight! Damn it, if you don't hang it, you rotten, ridiculous pervert! You've got, there is no Marie here, this is the LaGuardia control tower! Click! I'm done by my own evil. And I can see Maury out there, he's banging. Will you get out of the booth already for crying out loud? Man, he's slipping! And he starts kicking. So I open the booth, I say, shut up, you idiot! Make your phone call. I hope the deal falls through. He said, what was that? What are you, sick or something? The LaGuardia control tower. I skulked out into the night. And somehow I had a moment of sartoria, a moment of truth. So, friends, everywhere you look, there's not only obscene phone calls, there's obscene phone numbers. And if there's anything I hate, it's people that write their phone numbers in phone books. I think this is terrible, and I think Mayor Lindsay ought to do something about it. 
I think this kind of evil. Mayor, you're covering up. I say to you, I'm going to get Bill Abzug on that. I'm going to get the woman's lib on that. It's 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when it gets hot here in New York or tonight. I walk out through that darkness. I think of Marie. Someplace hiding behind the LaGuardia control tower. Waiting for another phone call. Oh, there are nights when a man sees too deeply and too clearly into existence. Right, gang? That's right. The only thing you can do is go out to the kitchen and open up the refrigerator and take out another bottle of... Diet, wild strawberry, yoo-hoo, and hope for the best.